Brown Girl Radiance celebrates the brilliance of women of color through reflective conversations and stories. I'm your host, Pure Brown Joy. Hello to all of my radiant friends. Welcome to the season three finale of this third season of Brown Girl Radiance. During the first season of this podcast, which launched in 2018, we honored the strength, beauty, and leadership of the women of Wakanda from the Black Panther movie. For the second season, we hosted the Michelle Obama Becoming Book Club. On this third and current season, we have celebrated brown girls abroad. Over the past year, I have interviewed 10 diverse, dynamic, brilliant Black women who have traveled and lived throughout the world. On today's show, I had the honor of interviewing not just one, but two of these incredible women. Before I share more about the final episode in this series, I want to do a quick recap of the Brown Girls Abroad season. During the height of the pandemic, we were not allowed to travel, so being able to explore different countries and learn about their cultures and the intersections of the Black experience has been insightful, and I've learned something from each of these women. In July 2020, we launched this series with Lisa McQueen, an African-American missionary who founded Elwa Sunrise School in Uganda, where she currently lives and serves the community there. She has a powerful testimony. In August, we met Selena Mendez, who is a Canadian Black woman. She shared a unique perspective that helped to reiterate how universal the Black experience is, especially between the U.S. and Canada, because while it is not discussed as much widely, Canada also participated in slavery. In September, we took a brief detour to celebrate the best versus battle up to that point between our favorite aunties in our head, Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle, as they gave us a master class in sisterhood and excellence. In October, we met Black Girl Magic, globetrotter, educator, counselor, and author Tiffany Green, who has visited over 70 countries. In November, we traveled to Ireland to meet finance manager and expat Erica Jones. In December, because of everything that had transpired during 2020, I felt led by the Lord to record a devotional episode meditating over the Psalms. The episode is called, Your Love is Better Than Life, which is a quote from Psalm 63.3. So if you need some inspiration, then I definitely recommend going back and listening to that episode. In January 2021, after a devastating start to the year, as we experienced the collective trauma of witnessing the insurrection I wanted to share some joy and light to start the year. So I interviewed my seven-year-old niece, Naomi, who is a brown girl abroad in her own right. The episode is really cute and short in length and is guaranteed to bring a smile to your face. In February, we continued the Brown Girls Abroad series with an interview featuring Paige Merrill, who is a missionary, 
At that time, she was living and working in Australia as a part of Youth with a Mission. In March, we met Asia Nichols, who shared her nomadic experience as she and her husband have traveled and lived in over 25 countries in the past 10 years, writing, creating, and house-sitting. In April, I took a spring break once I realized I had delivered monthly episodes consistently for over 18 months, including every month of 2020. In May, we continued the celebration of Brown Girls Abroad with Sim, who is an educator and tech professional who has had extensive experiences living and working abroad throughout her lifetime. And she is a couch surfing connoisseur. In June, we met Sakuria Dickerson, who has been to over 30 countries. She is a consultant for community organizers, activists, and nonprofit organizations. She also plans radical self-care retreats. Today, we will culminate the series with my final two guests of this season, Ivy and Lauren, who were both on international assignments five years ago in Shanghai to help launch a new offering for their organization. They have had the opportunity to travel abroad the past few years, and they also happen to be my friends. So this interview was a lot of fun, and you will hear plenty of laughter throughout our conversation. I have been looking forward to sitting down with both of these brilliant women for a long time. Before we start the interview, I want to let you all know I am heading to a huge podcast conference called Podcast Movement during the first week of August, and I'll be taking a break from the podcast as we prepare to launch season four of Brown Girl Radiance this fall. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast during these first three seasons I consider it an honor that you take a moment out of your day to listen to this podcast. If you've not had a chance to check out my new website, I encourage you to go to www.browngirlradiance.com and sign up to be a part of Brown Girl Radiance Nation so that I can stay connected with you. Thank you again for listening. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Ivy and Lauren. When I first launched this Brown Girls Abroad season, I knew that I wanted to get the two incredible women that I have on the show today to be a part of this series. So here we are one year later on the season finale, and it has definitely been worth the wait. Like any season finale, you always want to take things to the next level. And I know my listeners love it when I have any kind of panel of women on the show. So I'm really excited for you to hear their perspectives. Both of these amazing women were on international assignments for five years, um, or excuse me, five years ago in Shanghai. So we are going to talk extensively about their time there and also hear more about 
their experiences traveling and living abroad. The first woman that I'm going to introduce you actually heard during the first two seasons of the podcast, and I'm so honored to welcome her back to the show to share her insights. In addition to working in Shanghai, she also received an assignment in Paris. So she is a verified brown girl abroad. And with that, I would like to welcome Ivy back to Brown Girl Radiance podcast. Thank you, LaJoy. Such an amazing introduction and glad to be back. Uh, glad to be a part of the discussion about uh, being abroad. Uh, so just a little bit about myself. I grew up in a small town that's about 40 minutes east of Orlando called Titusville and um, went to college, Florida and m University. After college, I moved to Detroit. Um, was, was very nervous about moving to Detroit because I didn't know a single person up there. I actually had wanted to back out of moving to Detroit, but my mom was like, we do not back out on if we tell people that we're going to do something. <clears throat> moved up there, hated it for like the first year, and, you know, only because I didn't know a lot of people, it was uncomfortable, just like anything that's uncomfortable, it takes a while to adjust. A few years later, after working and building community and friends, I actually did not want to leave Detroit. And to this day, Detroit is probably one of my favorite cities. Uh, so got the opportunity to move back to Orlando, well, move back to Florida to work for Disney, and um, been with Disney about 14 years, and within that time span, got a chance to work over in Shanghai and also over in Paris, but what's so interesting is <clears throat> I my first time actually being on a plane was 20 years old, so we didn't travel a lot, like as a, you know, as, as I would be a younger adult, uh, we took road trips around, you know, but that hadn't been on a plane until I was 20 years old. So, but definitely um, love to travel, been to quite a few countries, really enjoyed living in Shanghai, which started out to be a six-week assignment that turned into a six-month assignment, and then got the opportunity to to live in Paris for three months. Thank you so much for sharing uh, a little bit about your background. And I'm excited to also introduce my next guest, who is a new voice to the podcast and a truly dynamic woman who's had some diverse experience during her time in Shanghai and beyond. So please welcome Lauren to Brown Girl Radiance. Hi, LaJoy. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so uh, I'll share um, where my love of travel came from. So I grew up uh, in Marietta, Georgia, which is, of course, north of Atlanta. Um, and I actually, I have not lived in too many places. I was born and raised there, went to uh, college in Atlanta. So I graduated from Spelman College. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I, I received a wonderful job opportunity with Disney. And that's what brought me to Orlando, Florida. And I've been here actually for 15 years this month. 
uh, which is really exciting. Uh, but for me and for my history, my love of travel came from my family. So very similar to Ivy, I grew up doing lots of road trips, going to the beach probably twice a year, um, or locations close to Georgia or up the East Coast. But my parents uh, did a lot of traveling before my brother and I were born. My dad actually was a big basketball, um, had played basketball all his life, and in, at, right after college, had spent probably about six years traveling the world with basketball. So back then in the 60s, I'm sorry, in, in the 50s, you know, if you didn't go to the NBA, you that's what you did. You, tra- you, you played overseas. And so um, he played in Korea, in Israel, in Germany, in like lots of different places. And just to hear his stories about traveling. And then my mother did a lot of traveling also to throughout Europe and to uh, the Caribbean. It just really instills, you know, that high dream of, oh, I always want to be like mom and dad. And so my brother decided to do a year abroad for school. And I became really envious at that age. He's my baby brother. And I, I felt like he was outliving me. And so from there, that's really was the catalyst for me to jumpstart my travel journey and especially to attempt to live abroad, which has had life-changing experiences for me. So I'm really excited, excited to share all of that with you ladies. Excellent. Thank you so much uh, for giving a little bit about your background as well. So now um, definitely want to hear from each of you ladies when you found out that you received your international assignment, how did you prepare and what kind of adjustments did you have to make when you were living in Shanghai? So I'll go first, I guess, Ivy, because I knew when I got my assignment that I was going to be there for a while. My initial assignment was for uh, seven months. And so for me, I had been wanting to go to Shanghai. And actually my first international trip was with Disney for a recruiting trip to uh, Dalian, Beijing and Shanghai. So that for me, it was almost like coming home because I had spent some time in, in China before, but I had reached out to peers who were already over there. I definitely researched the weather. I researched where we were going to be living. Um, and one of the fabulous things about our company is that they were very insistent that any building that we were housed in have a doorman, had a 24-hour doorman. So compared to perhaps some other countries or companies, excuse me, uh, we were always set up for success, I feel like, in a safety mindset. Um, I researched what American brands I could get, but through many people telling me certain things like feminine products are not the same there. So bring your own medications, bring uh, any particular like cough medicine or anything that you're very um, preferred to make sure you bring those. Um, I was familiar with food and items and such, um, that, w- that I would be uh, encountering over there. But I think for me more than anything was just what was I, what could I not live without hair care products being a black woman? Of course, I knew that trying to find like Jamaican black castor oil may not be something that you can find over there. Um, hair vitamins, you know, I think, I think the most, the majority of the weight in my bag was literally from lotion and shampoo and conditioner and detangler. I kid you not. (laughs) I felt like, so, well, because I also knew that shipping over there was insane. And while they have Taobao and, um, 
uh, you know, basically their equivalent of Amazon, like I, I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to find those products. Um, I also did research, um, black hair salons too. So that was, that was interesting, but I tried to do as much, much research as I could to know what I wasn't going to have access to and, and what I would. So, um, I will say I had, I got an allowance for three bags, uh, to take and each bag was 10 pounds over. So I paid the, the luggage guy 20 bucks to, to turn the, the, his head the other way and just put heavy on my bags and take them. I will say that. <laughs> so Love it. My, my um, experience was very similar to one. I knew that I always wanted to have an international sign, assignment. I didn't necessarily have a country picked in mind. And China, full transparency, China probably wouldn't have been at the top of the list thinking about, you know, an international assignment. It's like I wanted it to be something a little more sexy, you know, but um, that's, that's just not knowing a lot about um, China. But when I when the company was building a park over there, I know that would be an amazing, life-changing, career-changing opportunity. And when I went over there, there were already people that had been over there. Like Lauren was already over there. There were tons of people that were already over there. So they were able to share their experiences and prepare me for what I needed to bring. And it was a little bit different. Like we had to bring, um, I probably had one bag full of like uh, wet wipes, Clorox wipes. <laughs> it's to, I would hear like, oh, the bathrooms don't have toilet paper. So you have to have your own toilet paper. Like Lauren mentioned about the sanitary products. Definitely brought my own sanitary products. And like most black women, we're thinking about our hair. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do to my hair? So my first thought was, if I'm going to be over there for six weeks, let me get a braided hairstyle that will last me, you know, through six weeks. As it turned out, I ended up staying longer. But Lauren and I actually found, you know, black people are at every corner of this planet. Every corner. Lauren found a salon that did, like, there was a, a black woman in there that did black hair, braids, and some of the best, best braids that I have ever had that I got in that salon. It was an African woman that, that braided my hair. But, um, yeah, going to China was just, it was a very different, Lauren and I lived in different apartments. Mm-hmm. Because I like I got there a little bit later than she did. Certain things that you just don't think about, you know, like they don't eat a lot of ice. Like I remember ordering ice. I remember ordering food a lot. Um, but some of the things that stand out for me is like the food. Like the food was absolutely amazing over there. Understanding why people over there are so small because they don't do a lot of sugar. They don't do a lot of dairy. And, um, yeah, it was just really an an amazing experience. And if I was asked to go back today, I would go back. Hands down. Agree with Ivy. 100%. 
Awesome. And and so let me ask you this, Ivy. So did your preparations or like adjustments um, vary a little bit when you were preparing for Paris? So preparing for Paris, because Paris is more westernized, right? Like China is literally on the other side of the world, world and it's a very homogenous, you know, country. But Paris, I had been to Paris before, so I knew what to expect. Um, the only thing that was a lot different is we were living in a hotel. Like we were living in a hotel room, small. All it had was a bed and a little mini fridge. And um, the bathroom, like the shower, was like, probably half the shower that you're used to in the U.S. So that was a little bit of adjustment, but not the type of adjustment where I knew that I would be able to find somewhere to get my hair done. I knew that I wouldn't have to bring toilet paper, you know, all those kind of things. It was just downsizing. Gotcha. And so going back to Shanghai, I will say actually the story about Lauren finding that like black hair shop (laughs) and telling you about it that's like one of my favorite stories that you all um have have shared about your shanghai experience because i think it just speaks to like you said the fact that black people are everywhere and we gonna figure it out you know so oh it was i didn't find just one either i found three black hair salons so i found the, the the one that i went to regularly then i wanted braids and so i found the african salon that specifically did locks and braids and that's the one that I sent Ivy to. So I, I didn't find just one. I found multiple. And um, even in going back and visiting, um, they're, they're still in business uh, on top of that. They're still in business, which is wow. a testament um, to clearly that the, the, the culture that's there. There are black people there that are living there. Um, and that's one of the things I just love. I've also seen um, several like Jamaican spots there, like food. Um, that's one of the things that surprised me more than anything is, you know, you look at China and you think about China and even some of our experiences and how people clearly did not have a lot of exposure to black people, the way that they would look at us and the way they would stare at us and the way, I mean, you would have thought that we were celebrities. They, the way that they just tried to non-discreetly even take your picture on the subway just because you had brown skin, you'd be like, have clearly, have you ever seen a black person before? Like, dang. But when you really start to live in a city and understand also what it's like to be an expat and find that expat community to find the expat apps, because there are apps in every country that are designed for the people who are not from there to find, you know, when you want Italian, when you want that, you know, that, um, the, you know, beef pie or beef patty, you know, when you, if you're really wanting that, it's most likely in the country that you're in. You just have to do the extra work to find it. And Lauren was very resourceful. Thank God for her because she really prepared me for what I needed before I got there. Cause Lauren, I think you were there months. I was there and I think it was February, March time frame yeah. of 2016. Yeah, three months. I had been yeah. there three months. And not only just Ivy, like I shared that with another one of our colleagues, um, Jaconda, 
before she came, I was like, look, girl, this is, <laughs> this is what it is. I know you wear, I know you got some weave. I know you wear tracks. Like, this is what it is. I'm, I'm warning you now. Um, because there weren't that many black people. Our company is wonderful. And they sent 500 employees over to complete this project, which is a lot. Um, but believe it or not, as diverse as we are as a company, they sent people over who were subject matter experts in their field. And at the end of the day, I'd say out of 500 people, there still were maybe only 50 of us that were black per se. So, and that's no shade to our company. That's just even possibly people who volunteered at the end of the day, you're still away from your family. You are, you know, taking a risk with your career by stepping away and being unseen. So that's truly by choice also to keep that in mind. That was a choice that we made that we volunteered to take this assignment and to move to a foreign country. So I do want to say that also. Well, and Lauren, I think what, what you just mentioned there actually relates to my, my next couple of questions. Um, so you kind of alluded to this, but how were you able to find and build community while you were living abroad? For me, it started truly with who I knew who was already there. So I had, I had a friend who'd actually been there already for four months. And I called her the moment that, you know, the call went around, they're looking for more volunteers to go, who's interested. And I told her, Hey, look, I raised my hand. She was like, I'm just going to forewarn you. This is not glamorous. She said, you're in a hard hat, jeans and mud all day. You know, this is what it's going to be. So I knew I, I made sure to do the research, um, with the people that I knew who were there to know fully what I was walking into. And then once I was there, um, I I tell people it was the adult college program. Disney's known for its college program. And I (laughs) called it the adult college program because you lived, you we had roommates, we, um, or you didn't depending on your assignment. So my assignment was for eight, um, ended up being for eight months. So I had a roommate. I had the master bedroom. We both had our own bedrooms, our own bathrooms, and we shared a kitchen and a living room. If you had a even longer assignment or a very short assignment, you may live by yourself. Um, and in my, in my building alone, there was probably about 150 employees. What I appreciate is that our company would have events in the building, um, and in the building would host it. So we'd have happy hour. We would have game night. They had a great opportunity, um, to get, catch a bus that would take you to the grocery store. So you wouldn't be the only one probably going to the grocery store. There was probably about 10 of us in the bus that would all go to the grocery store. So through there, you could, you'd have those conversations. When I first arrived, even it was, it became a, a ritual. Let's take you to your first trip to the grocery store so that I can at least, you know, show you where to, where it is, how to get there, even how to hail a cab back if needed. That's, that was extremely helpful because that was my first even language lesson of how to get myself back to my apartment. My friend was like, yo guai, so guai. Like she was telling me how to give the taxi driver directions, which was super helpful on a night that I needed to get home alone. But you know, even in the grocery store, she showed me, okay, the brands are there. When you're in the, when you're going to a foreign grocery store, I'm sure it's one thing. And I'm sure in Europe, because I've been to, I've been to Europe, you know, you can easily identify what, you know, in China, things have very similar colors and packaging, but everything's of course in a different language almost. So she was like, okay, Mm -hmm. you should get this one. You should get this because you know, you you still have to wash your own clothes while we had an au pair or, um, uh, an ama actually I think is what it's called there, uh, which is a maid. 
we still did our own laundry. She would do our dishes and she would clean our entire, take our trash out and clean um, our sheets and everything. We still had to do our actual laundry. And so you still, and food and everything, you, you know, you still needed to get all that. So she took us to the grocery store and then help us get back. And I think, I think when you got there, Ivy, did I show you how to get there too? Yeah. Yeah, you did. And right. So again, just, it worked to my advantage that so many people were over there before, you know, I got there. And so Lauren like plugged me right in, like, here's where you go for X and here's where you go. I remember her taking me, I can't remember the name of it, Lauren. I showed up over in China without a coat of all things. And you were like, girl. So I, we went, I can't remember the name of the store, but we went and you, you got me set up like with the coat. Oh yeah. yeah. Decathlon. So, Decathlon. Yes. Decathlon. Decathlon. But yeah, I, I, I stayed by myself and kind of the same situation like Lauren talks about is, you know, there's the people that are living in your building become like your family and they had a bus that took us to the work site and we all knew everyone would meet down. Oh, we got to be, you know, out there by X amount of X time so that we could get on the bus so we could make it to work. So, and then your team at work, they knew that you were out of your element and they were also making sure that, you know, they were making sure that you were comfortable. So, um, yeah, it really was like, you know, a family there with your team and with all the people that were over there. The company, like Lauren mentioned, was very good for setting up all these different events. One event that sticked out or sticks out for me is when we took, like, the cruise down um, to see the, gosh, I'm, I'm losing my, what is the big tower, the Bund. Lauren? The Bun. The they Bund. set up the Bun cru- River yeah, Cruises. They set up the Bun River Cruise, which was really amazing. So they had a lot of group activities just to make sure, you know, everyone felt, you know, comfortable and connected. Because, again, you are so far away from home. I mean, it was really difficult to even reach out to, like, your family and friends. You would either talk to them really early in the morning or you're staying up really late at night because it's like a 12 or 13. 12 to trains. Yeah, 12. Yeah, a time difference. So being able to connect, you know, with your family, you had to really bond with the people that were over there and with the teams that you were working with over there. And I will say once you allowed that to happen, um, and, you know, even if you just hung out with colleagues that maybe you didn't always care for. Um, and cause let me preface, I'm not an extrovert. I'm actually an ambivert. So I really tend to, um, my more introverted tendencies. I love to spend time alone, but you, you know, when you're in a different country, you want to seize the opportunity. So when you at least take the chance to try to be a little social and be around those peers who've been around and can show you places then you start to feel more comfortable to go out on your own. And then you, you feel comfortable exploring the city on your own. And I think Ivy actually has the best example of that because one of my colleagues who spoke the language, she's Dutch, by the way, Dutch who learned Mandarin, took us to a Korean, nope, a Japanese spa 
which is Mm -hmm. something, an experience that I've never been to before. And Ivy had heard about it and couldn't go with us, but had always wanted to go. And she, you, did you go with Philippa? You did go with Philippa and then went back. Well, so I went, gosh, I can't remember who I went with the first time, but I did go back with Philippa. And you met other people, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, I ended up meeting um, this young lady who was there, not with Disney, but she was there on an assignment. She was a school teacher. She was over teaching English and, again, still connected with her to this day. But, yeah, we ended up becoming friends and going out to dinner and hanging out. And so, yeah, the the. I can't, again, I can't think of the name of it, but it definitely was a different type of experience. Well, and so can I just say, this is part of the reason why I wanted to make sure to have you two ladies on the same episode, because I definitely feel like you all are a part of each other's community um, while, you know, while you were over there for sure. Um, And so love hearing those stories. Like, I don't think I'd heard about the spa before, Um, but I will, I will say one thing. Let's something that you mentioned, uh, Lauren, that you, you kind of breeze past, but I want to put a pin and, and talk about it really quick. You all had maid service. (laughs) This is news to me. (laughs) and, And listen, I will admit that, um, our expat experience is not every everybody's expat experience is not going to be the same and every company is not going to treat or offer the same services to their employees. So I can tell you, I knew people that were living in hotels. There were, there were some, um, Imagineers who were living in like five hours, five star hotels, but they were living in five star hotels for like six months. Um, for us, um, those that were on like those six month, those good lengthy assignments, I'd say three, three months or more Disney houses in four different buildings on in either province. So China is literally separated by the bund. You have the Pushi side and you have the Pudong side. And we had two buildings in each on each side. What was wonderful about it is it didn't matter which side you lived on, but if you lived in one of these four buildings, you had transportation to and from the work site. Then you had uh, usually a shuttle service that got you to uh, to the subway and to grocery shopping. And all, they would have other stops along the way. So like the dry cleaners, uh, any any big thing that you might need, they could take. The, the banks were everywhere, so that wasn't like an issue. Um, and then, like I said, they had a, the actual offerings that they had in the building were a doorman. And yes, we had a maid. So for us, like I said, she would come in and she would clean my bathroom. She would dust. She would take out our trash. She would clean our kitchen and then she would clean, she would change our sheets. So I like had to tell her because she was changing it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I was like, that's not necessary. I don't do that at home. You don't have to do that for me. Once a week is fine. Um, and I can tell you, like we tipped her. So for Chinese New Year, we, I think we left her the equivalent of, three, $400. And she actually then I felt bad because we must've given her too much because she went out and bought us cakes and cookies and then left us cakes and cookies. So, and, and then I can tell you, I know not just myself, but on the flip side, when we all left, we couldn't take, we, some people bought electric scooters, bikes, 
uh, clothes that you just couldn't fit, uh, just, just a lot of things that you bought for the convenience, rice cookers, whatever didn't come with your, with your apartment, you couldn't take that home. So we left them. That was, and apparently that's, that's a trend. That is definitely a cultural thing. And that's one of the, the benefits for them for working for you and being your maid. When you leave, they get all this stuff. I left three pairs of sneakers, t-shirts, jeans, sweaters. I left so much, a jacket, one of those jackets from Decathlon. I left so much stuff for our maid. So, because she was just so sweet. Um, I think I saw her maybe, maybe once a week because of the work hours that I had, but yes, I, I, and can I just tell you moving back to the States, um, what they call repatriatizing is a real thing. So there, that's why it's a word having to get used to, you know, you've lived this month, this life for eight months and now having to move back to the United States. I think the first month I was like, Oh wait, nobody's going to take my trash out. What? Nobody's going to make, I think I I slept on my, yeah, I think I slept in the same sheets for a month because I was like, Oh yeah, nobody's, nobody's changing my sheets. That was difficult. That was very difficult. Yeah, the, the company really did do a good job of setting us up nicely to really make us feel home away from home. Even where our apartments were, <clears throat> there was a lot of restaurants and within walking distance that you could get to. And just to add, like the transportation system, the train was super, super efficient, very clean, would take you anywhere almost. I felt very safe. There were times where, where I would be out. And I've been, like Lauren mentioned, I spent a lot of time by myself just exploring the city. But sometimes I would come home as late as like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning by myself. But I felt completely safe doing that. Coming into the building, it was, you know, you had like a guard there. And it was... They put us in very nice locations, so it wasn't like we had to worry about anything. Awesome. Um, so, so actually, something else that um, you all kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, but um, I would love for you to expand upon a little bit more. Um, and this is actually going to be a more broad question, kind of going beyond um, just your experience in Shanghai. Um so do you feel that there have been certain countries um, during your, your time living and, and traveling abroad where you as a Black person slash Black woman felt more welcomed, celebrated, or embraced? Um, well, and, you know, speaking for myself, I wouldn't say that embrace, I have felt different. I have felt like I stood out, particularly in Shanghai, because I just don't think that they see a lot of Black people in person. That's pretty evident because, you know, they're snapping the pictures. And my husband, my boyfriend, my husband at the time came over and one of the Chinese ladies wanted Mike to hold his baby, their baby. So, uh, it just wait that happened to you that, too they were like oh my baby take a picture with my oh baby. my gosh you have to share that story that happened to my boyfriend too yeah so i don't know if they thought like he was a celebrity or they thought you know but you just feel different not that i felt celebrated or embraced in paris the same way there's a lot more black people over there you kind of just like you know, you stand out a little bit, but there's more black people, black women 
better over in Europe than what you're seeing over in Shanghai. I just don't think that Shanghai is really on the top of people's list when they're thinking about traveling, one, because you just don't hear anything about China, and two, because the flight is, you know, it's a really long flight to get over there. So that's kind of been my experience. I will say for me, in my experience, I've definitely felt a difference. So, for example, three years ago, I went with my brother, his best friend, and my boyfriend to Brazil. Honestly, hands down, one of the best experiences ever. And I highly recommend it for Black people. Uh, not just uh, from the, oh, I, I went to Brazil, but even from a cultural experience. So when you talk about the slave trade, and we, if you want to talk about, you know, America's history with slavery, then that and Brazil are one and the same because Brazil actually had a larger slave trade than the United States. And while they don't show it, and I think the, like, for example, the Olympics touched on it when it was there. But when you, when you think about Brazilians, you think about blonde hair, you think about Giselle Bündchen, right? Brazil is black. Okay. Brazil is very black. And it was the first time that I had traveled somewhere where number one, I saw people who looked just like me with curly hair, you know, brown, brown caramel skin. And it was also the first time where I wasn't automatically assumed to be a tourist. So we went, um, during the world cup and my brother is a huge soccer fan from living overseas. And as a result, he wanted to go down in the city center to watch the game. And he loves to be in the spirit of it with people. And so we were going down there and we were all hungry and we stopped inside a McDonald's. And when I walked inside the McDonald's, there was a kid that was asking for money and he came up to me and he starts speaking Portuguese, like literally. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't understand you. And he just keeps going. And I'm like, American, don't, don't speak Portuguese. So then after standing in line and getting up to the counter, just to comparisons from Shanghai versus Rio, this is where we were. When I walk in Shanghai, when I walk into McDonald's, they literally already pull out the English menu and, and hand it to me. That's, that's how you order most in most fast food places. If they, they instantly identify you as an American and because the signs and everything are in Mandarin, they'll pull out a handheld laminated sheet with English and you point to it and that's how you order. I'm in Rio. I'm in downtown Rio at a McDonald's and the girl just starts asking me in Portuguese, what do I want? And I'm like, English, do you have a menu? Especially from my experience in China, I'm asking now for the, for the American plastic, you know, sign. And she's looking at me like, huh? And just everywhere we went, when we, we were in the city center, there, there are actually people walking around selling beverages. They're talking to us in Portuguese. They just automatically assumed. I took so many photos of people who looked just like us. We blended into that crowd and it was one of the most amazing feelings. Um, I will say something even like even more different. Uh, also I traveled to Thailand and I had learned, I've done a lot of travel in Asia and it's very obvious that Asian people are not used to black people. I will say particularly in China, Hong Kong and Japan. But when I travel to Thailand, there's a lot of darker, darker people, not saying that they're black, but of course they have a caste system and typically people who work or who work outside have brown, more brown skin. And it was also just really surprising because when you think of Thailand and you see all the marketing and the beautiful photos, you see all these, you know, 
creamy skin, black hair, and that's not necessarily the case. They have quite a, di- a diverse culture as well of people that range in, in beautiful skin tones also. So that's one place that I was surprised I didn't stick out, especially traveling in Asia. I was really surprised that I wasn't being stared at constantly. Was I automatically assumed to be American? Yes. Um, often, though, a lot of people will assume that you're British, too. If you're Black and you're traveling, a lot of people will, will mm-hmm. ask you, are you American? Because they'll either they'll assume you're either American or British. If you have natural hair, they might assume something else. But that was um, that was one of the first times I wasn't asked, are you American? Because that's if they if they make that assumption, they'll just straight up ask you, are you American? And you're like, yes, I'm American. So um, I know that there are countries that people that black people don't feel welcome. I think that's the wonderful thing about TikTok now is sharing that knowledge. And I've seen those TikToks where people share, like, don't go to Barcelona or, you know, um, certain other countries. But I've never I've personally never felt that I know that it exists out there. But I personally never had that. Just like Ivy said, you feel like an alien for sure um, when people are staring at you, but fully uncomfortable. I've never had that experience. Awesome. Uh, So what would you ladies say has been your most rewarding experience about uh, living and traveling abroad? And then what would you say has been your most challenging experience? Hmm. I would say for me, almost what's what's the most challenging and the and the most rewarding is is almost the same. And so what I mean by that is being over in Shanghai, <clears throat> it's really gutsy, right, to take a trip twenty hours away, knowing that you know communication is going to be strained. You're going to a place you've never been before. You don't know the language. So being in a place where you can't really communicate that well, that was the most challenging. But coming out of that, being able to navigate through that and not knowing the language and still coming out of that and having this amazing experience nonetheless and being able to still immerse yourself in the culture, that has been like the most rewarding experience for me. So it's challenging on one side, but it's all, it's also rewarding. Like coming, coming out of that experience, I felt like I could go and live anywhere. You know, I could go live, you know, in Russia or wherever, but I I definitely felt like it is life changing and, you know, it, it just made me feel like, you know, I could do anything. Um, I'll say for me, uh, for traveling um, and what I've learned through traveling is truly how fortunate I am in this life. Uh, I, I went to India and we, I went to a Indian wedding and we did six cities And the first city we went to was Mumbai and we were driving to the hotel and it was probably like 1130 at night and all all along the streets, in the streets, on the sides of the streets, in the streets were people sleeping on cardboard. And I'm talking, you could, all you could see was feet and you could see babies, children, mothers. And I'm not talking about just like 20, 
I'm talking about hundreds, hundreds of people everywhere. And I've seen, I've seen poor before I've seen, you know, China is, is definitely still a developing country, but to, to really see that constantly everywhere you went and not to mention every hotel we went to in India, in every city, you have to uh, stop. There's a gate at every entrance. And so they all, they asked the, they asked the driver to pop the hood and to pop the trunk and they inspect. And then they sit there and check both. And then they check with a mirror underneath the car at every hotel. And that's, we stayed at a local place. Um, when we went to the Taj Mahal and then I, we stayed at the JW in New Delhi. So any type of hotel, they checked it all. And it was just surprising because of bombings that they'd had. This is what they had to do to protect tourists. It was actually one of the first times I, I had slightly been like, Ooh, um, well, I'm not super comfortable for a second. Like you start to think about what am I getting myself into? And then you come back to America and you, you think about the political arguments we have and things like that. I mean, Ivy talked about how safe we felt. Um, in China, they have knife legislation. How big can you have a knife? Guns are illegal. And then they sit there and dictate how big of a knife you can have. And in America, you know, the, that argument is all over the place. So when you see somebody who has, you know, an apartment and even in the hood, but they have four walls and air conditioning or even an AC unit in the window compared to what some people in this life have, we are so blessed. We are all so very blessed. Um, and I will say what was the most rewarding is very similar to Ivy is just learning the culture. Um, I got very close with my local employees. I went to dinner with them often. I had one who was bringing me fresh fruit from her grandma's farm every day. And her, her mom made me dumplings. Um, and just to, to do that, I had chicken feet, I had scorpion, I had stinky tofu because I went to places that only locals would go. Um, even Ivy and I once went to a noodle shop and this was just a testament to being black also in China. So you go and you order, you can point for us, we could point to the number on the wall and they were so happy to have us there especially that we were foreigners. Oh my gosh. They put us at every time we would go, they would put us at the table in the front of the shop so that as people walked by, they could see Americans were in their shop. Like they put us on display just yeah. to be like, look, look how good our food is. Americans are coming to our store. Mm-hmm. So just to get that, that experience and to see how the other half lives and, um, and learn all these new things and taste all these new things and just open yourself up to a, whole new world is an experience that you can, is, is just priceless. Yeah. You know, Lauren, you mentioned about like homelessness, right. And you're, you're absolutely right. Like taking for granted that we get these amazing opportunities and not even just domestic and not even just international domestic, like just even coming back from San Francisco, and they have a very huge homeless problem, tenths of homeless people right on the street. And so when you think about, like, you're almost worlds away from that. Like, you're staying in this really nice posh hotel, and you have this person that's out on the street that probably won't even know, like, where their next meal is coming from. So, you know, you make a very good point about just... <clears throat> 
you know, perspective and just being blessed to be able to even have these types of experiences. Absolutely. And I, I love what, you know, you shared about, like, like you said, that overall perspective of just gratitude. Um, and you may have kind of alluded to this um, a little bit in your answers, but would love to hear, well, this is actually a two-part question. So what did you learn about yourself during your international assignment? And then also uh, during the height of the pandemic, did any of those lessons or memories come back to you? So one of the things that I learned is just being able to be able to adjust, you know, so quickly, <clears throat> especially like for the assignment in Paris, like that literally was an assignment that happened. My, my leader came into my office and he said, there may be an opportunity for you to go to Paris, like in two weeks. And so, you know, being able to have to, change my life around and get prepared to go on this assignment. And at the time, I didn't know how long I was going to be over there. But being able to just adjust and be fluid and just trust the process, right? Like, don't get so worried about bogged down into the details of it. And then um, during the pandemic, I really didn't kind of reflect on like international, you know, like my travels or anything like that, but it did make me put into perspective what really was essential. Like you really just needed food, shelter, you know, and that's, that's pretty much it, you know? So I didn't reflect on like, Oh, I wish, you know, I would be able to travel. Like I actually kind of enjoyed the slower pace and just, you know, really putting things into perspective and focusing on myself and, you know, things like that. But I wasn't really that upset about, you know, not being able to get out and travel. Like I, I thought that I would be, I actually really enjoyed, you know, uh, the, the slow, slow pace. So I will piggyback on Ivy um, and what she said about essentials. So I will say from my experience, and I learned this more coming back, I really learned that we are a society, Americans, we are a society of excess. So when I lived in Shanghai, because we had these apartments that we knew were temporary, you literally only had what you needed. I think I had four pairs of jeans, one to wear out and three for work. I had, uh, I brought three suits, but I deliberately bought, or I should say three suit jackets and each had a skirt and a pair of pants, which unfortunately didn't fit because I lost so much weight <laughs> and had to get a new one made. Um, I had two, two coats. I had, uh, one nice pair of shoes. I had a, a nice pair of sneakers. And then I had my work pair of sneakers, like just everything I had was minimal. And when I moved back home and I realized I've got closets full of clothes that I don't wear and I don't need. And I, I realized like, why do I have all this stuff? Why do I have three TVs in my house? And it's only me, you know, when you really sit and think about it, we have a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I will also say 
that I learned in general is, uh, you have to be, you cannot be sensitive. If you want to travel in this life, you cannot be sensitive. So one of the things that I will say as a black woman, racism is real, not just America, it's everywhere. So in China, they had very old ways of thinking, especially when it came to men versus women. So women were definitely less than men. And then not only to be a woman in Shanghai, but then to be a black woman, to be a woman of color. Um, it was like, you were way down on the totem pole. So as I'm on this job site and I'm trying to give instructions and I'm trying to tell these workers, you know, this is my turn. Now I need you to finish your construction. They'd be like, no, I'm, I'm not listening to you. And I'd be like, okay, who's your boss? And they'd be like, my boss says I can work. And I said, did your boss, is your boss the black woman? Cause I'm the boss. Like I had to get bucked sometimes and be like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm the boss, sweetie. And I'll call your boss and tell your boss and show you who's the boss. Because, because I was a woman and definitely because I was a black woman, they wouldn't listen to me. So that definitely really helped me, um, to, to just get t- tougher skin. People would, um, I would get catcalled on the construction site because I was black. I would have instances walking the street. I told, I said, I warned Ivy not to get braids because I had a situation where I had <laughs> women come up to me who would want to touch my hair. I had gotten braids while I was uh. there and I had women come up to me who, and I, I learned the words for don't touch me. Um, and I would, I was saying it in Mandarin and they would still just come try to, you know, touch my head. And I had to actually go to the other side of the street to get the women to leave me alone. So when I wow. think about that, you never told me about that, Lauren. I didn't. Oh my gosh, they, they like were chasing me down the street, and um, and it was it was so uncomfortable. I was waiting for my friend; she was biking to me, and I was like, "I'm not, I'm not on that street anymore." I had to go a block over. These women wouldn't leave me alone. I had a man. Um, I went to go shake his hand, and he wouldn't let me go. Like I was standing there trying to pull my hand out of his grip. And what was worse is that my white colleagues just stood there and watched it happen and nobody would help me. I'm literally panicking, trying to get this man off of me. And everybody just stood there and was like, Whoa, that was intense. And I was like, you think, (laughs) you think (laughs) really? (laughs) Um, so from there, I realized like, you've got to be your own woman. You've got to stand up for yourself. You've got to know who you are. Um, and, and remember that, yes, racism, racism, unfortunately, no matter where you are and what you do can always have an effect. And for me, it was really interesting how the pandemic kind of turned that around because due to the current political climate and due to coronavirus and where it, you know, initiated, however it initiated, it started in China. So now you have people mm-hmm. that are discriminating against Chinese people. And I found it interesting that here in America, I'm, I'm now, you know, advocating and saying, you can't call it the China virus. You can't sit there and discriminate against an entire group of people just over a virus. Um, and it was really hard for me to see having made those bonds with, you know, all the cast and, and making true friends that I still wish happy birthday to, you know, to see them go through that and to see even in the States to see AAPI hate, and to see that, mm. that those numbers and those incidents grow, um, it was, 
it, it was really interesting to be like having experienced racism from Chinese people and now seeing Chinese and Asian people experiencing that racism was really just a, um, a, a, a different dichotomy. I'll say just to, when you really look at it, it's like now it, at one part of me was like, now you know how it feels. And the other part of me is like, it still doesn't make it right. Nobody should have to experience racism just being who you are. So, um, that was really hard for me. I will say it when it, when it, when that hit its peak and you know, we, you kept hearing China virus and stuff like that, that was actually really hard for me. Yeah. And being in San Francisco over the past week, they have their Chinatown is the biggest population of Asians outside of China, actually. And it closed down really early, like six or seven o'clock. And I remember asking someone, like, why, you know, why is it closing down so early? And they said they had to close because of the number of incidents, the number of attacks that were that was happening on, you know, that community, like just coming up and pushing down some of their elderly, you know, some of their elderly people. And, you know, you're right about that because, when that started happening, Disney is like, we have to stand behind, you know, our Asian community. But I did hear a lot of rumblings from the black community of like, mm -hmm. um, you know, the Asian and black community haven't always had the best dynamic. And I, I would hear from people saying, well, why should I support you know, why should I support them where there hasn't been like the greatest history between the two communities? But really, it's what you're fighting against is systemic white systemic racism is, Correct. is really what Correct. You know, what we should be standing in solidarity and we're and in this together. Against. We're yeah. totally in this together, and unfortunately. Um, until it's sad until I feel like you've experienced it both or seen it from both sides. You can't fully understand that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's horrible because even, um, even in China, there was another story about how, um, I can't remember the city. There's, there's a large population of Niger I think it's Nigerian or African expats who were being discriminated against. Um, this was just, just before Corona, or I think, um, at the very beginning, early stages of it, um, where some people were even blaming black people in China for coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard, you know, it's, it's so hard to be like, well, if you go out of China, everybody's blaming you guys. So why are you sitting here blaming black people for coronavirus? It's really hard. But like you said, at the end of the day, none of us should have to, to, you know, deal with this. None of us. Well, and I think too, you know, as both of y'all mentioned, it does kind of just speak to that complicated dimension of how much Black people have been oppressed and, um, and, you know, faced so much racism. Um, but I feel, I feel like ultimately though, because of our experience, as Ivy mentioned, there, ha there definitely were some, some mixed emotions. And at the same time, I think in, in general, Black people, because of what we've experienced, we usually do ultimately lean towards um, empathy. So, so I feel like Lauren, what you experienced kind of speaks to that that piece of us that while yes, we have been oppressed, while there 
has been this complicated relationship with, um, you know, with the the Asian culture um, abroad and even in America, right? In our in our communities, um, we still, at the end of the day, like don't want to see someone else facing, you know, um, injustice or violence or oppression um, or you know extreme racism. But like you said, it's all <laughs> under that ultimate umbrella of of uh, white supremacy. Um, and so I will say part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is truly to to celebrate black women, even, you know, when the world doesn't see us for who we are. And I actually believe that all black women are superheroes um, and we definitely always try to impact the world and, and make it a better place. So I wanted to ask you, ladies, what do you believe your superpower is and how was it strengthened during your time living abroad? Lauren, I'll let you go first. Okay, so I would say for me, a superpower, I don't know if it's a superpower, but just being relatable. So I loved, like I said, I, I I made it a point to make really great connections with my local employees, which who we call cast. And I wanted, it was very important to me to do that just from, you could tell, like I said, like many people that they had never been around a black person. And I, I told myself if they never meet another black person. I said, I'm going to be the impression that they always have. And I'm damn sure going to make it a good one. And I always, I always tried to make it a great interaction. Even if we couldn't understand each other, I would try to find a way to make that happen. So I feel like for me, just, uh, related relatability. Um, I used to joke. uh, So one wonderful thing about our company is they gave us all Chinese names. And I used to joke because my Chinese name was Howling Lee and I used, it means very, very clever. And so I would say something or I would do something and I'd be like, aha. And they'd be like, ah, Howling Lee. And I'd be like, aha. So I would always just try to find something that was super relatable and it really helped to build just our our relationship. And, and through it came some wonderful conversations. And one of my best examples of that is how I had to break down the difference between a butt dial and a booty call. So (laughs) we're sitting there. Oh yeah, it's great. So we're sitting there and we're, we're all, uh, you know, joking. We're, we're just finishing up for the night. And one girl pulls out her phone. She goes, ah, ha ha ha, ah, booty call. And I was like, Oh, what? And she goes, oh, you know, I sit phone dial from my pocket. And I said, that's not a booty call. And she goes, I said, that's a butt dial. And she said, but butt and booty. And I said, yes. And she goes, and call and dial. And I said, yes, but they don't mean the same thing. I said, butt dial is accident and booty call is on purpose. (laughs) And and they looked more confused. And I said... (laughs) And I said, when you call someone to meet up on purpose late at night, that's a booty call. (laughs) Like having to really explain that was one of the most mortifying and yet like crazy, oddly relatable conversations, especially because in China, premarital sex is like a big no-no. Anyways, Mm -hmm. I also had to explain what a twerking dog was, which was insanely crazy. Um, 
And I never thought I'd have to explain that, but here we were, they were looking at videos and I, they were laughing and I said, what are you looking at? And they said, Oh, Queen Elizabeth's dog. Ha ha ha. And it was the video of the, the Corgi backing it up to bubble butt. And then I said, Oh, it's a twerking dog. And literally they all pull out their phones and their translator and go, what is twerking? And I was like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I like, you know, I explained to, you know, Chinese uh, Gen Zers what twerking was. I never thought that that would be my life. So, but we had, you know, like I said, I would, I went to one of their houses. I met their parents. Um, you know, I went and saw their dorm rooms. I, I really just felt like my goal at the end of the day was to make black people seem like normal, everyday, relatable people, um, that were just like them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that, Lauren. And I think that's really important because I think that some of the images that internationally people see on TV are not always the best images. So it's really important to to make sure that we weren't reinforcing those types of stereotypes. So making sure that, yeah, this is going to be, when you think of a black person, this is going to be like what you think about. And I think for me, and, and not saying that it's a superpower, but because, you know, black women are some of the most marginalized, you know, in the, in the world, I think that we are also the most resilient and we are, we can make anything, take nothing and turn it into something, right? We can take a bad experience and flip it and make it into this great, you know, experience. And what I've learned that has been, um, that has helped me a lot with, you know, international travel, just being a really active listener and really uh, trying to understand the culture and not trying to impose American culture onto their culture because Americans do have this reputation uh, that we can be spoiled Americans. So, you know, just really making a point of trying to be an active listener, trying to understand, you know, trying to, uh, you know, not reinforce any of those bad stereotypes that you that they're probably seeing in the news, which is why they some of the sentiments that they feel about black people. So I would say for me, you know, resilience and you know being being an active active listener to make people feel comfortable to let their guard down. Beautiful. So I do have a, I do have a question for Lauren, just to follow up on what on what she said um, about clarifying between a butt dial and a booty call. So to add an additional Wait, layer to that, <laughs> to one of the most <laughs> awkward conversations right. ever. Okay, right. let me tell you. Right. Right. So now I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just adding a, a little levity here, but so, okay. So could a butt dial turn into a booty call? <laughs> or- so see, I'm glad they never asked me these questions. Okay. We all know it could, but I was just, I really was, because they just kept walking around going, ha 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 booty call, ha 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 booty call. And I was like, uh, I can't, I can't let you keep saying that. Like I, I in good conscience, you know, cannot continue to let you think that that is the appropriate American thing. They, hey, 
they corrected me every time my Mandarin was wrong. Okay. I said, I said, Zogo at one time and I, which means like left turn. And I said, I said it like Zao and they all turned around and looked at me and I was like, what am I saying? And they were like, you're saying monster. And I was like, okay, you know what I meant? Go left, go left. So, what? Well, if you're driving in Florida and you say go left and, and you say monster instead, you might act, you know what I'm saying? Like the way people drive, they might It could be the same. It could be the same. So, um, yes, can it absolutely a butt dial can turn into a booty call, but that's not a question they asked me. And we, no, no. Oh, we had, I, we, that whole conversation about the twerking dog and the booty call. And then there was also, um, basically they were, they had a word for a drag queen and we were going back and forth as they were trying to explain to me what it was. And I said, a drag, they were like a man who dresses like woman. And I was like a drag queen. And they were like, huh? And I was like, look it up, pull out your translator, like look it up. And they were like, yeah, yeah. It was, it was just one of those funny pop cultural conversations. Um, and like Ivy said, um, yes, we have, there are nothing but stereotypes about everybody in this world, but there are definitely some of the most negative about black women. And 100% that that's how I felt was uh, you're not going to see, you're not, I, I wanted those cast members and my, who became my friends. I wanted them to know if you ever see a stereotypical black person, whether it's on WeChat or Weibo or whatever, that you know that not all black people are like that. That, that 100% was a goal of mine going there. Um, and I know that that's definitely an impression that I left on them all um, to this day. I, I 100% believe that. So if it was from having conversations like that, then so be it. <gasps> Absolutely. Now, I, I, I love that so much. And yeah, I mean, we, we all know that our colloquialisms <laughs> do not translate um, very well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's just kind of amazing the different, you know, conversations you can have and, and the way that you can bond over, you know, clarifying things like that. Um, yep. So my next question for you ladies is, do you have any specific advice that you would give to black women about living or traveling abroad? Do it. What you waiting yeah, for? Absolutely. Yeah, and do your research. Be, you know, now the research is in palm of your hand with Google. And nine times out of ten, there's probably have been someone over there that has lived over in that country, leverage, you know, and leverage those type of experiences. But don't, you know, go into it being fearless about it. 100%. Um, I'm also a huge, a huge advocate that everyone needs to do an international trip by yourself once in your life. Um, I went to Tokyo by myself and that alone, that experience alone, uh, just allowed me to better understand what I like to do on vacation. Because, you know, when you travel with somebody, it's, especially if it's just one other person, or in a group, I should say, especially if you're traveling in a group, you know, sometimes you feel like you don't get to always do the things you want to do because you're having to bend to the will of other people. And when you're traveling alone, it's just you, it's you who decides if you're going to, you know, what time you're going to get up and what are you going to do? Um, I got lost 
many, 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 many times because the Tokyo transit system is not as convenient as those like in Europe. Um, and I got very lost and I had to ask for help. I had to, uh, definitely multiple times say, I'm lost. Can you help me? What ticket am I supposed to buy? And I did research, but sometimes it's just not enough. I did research on where to stay. I, which I am grateful was, was that I did research even on going to the fish market and I still didn't, wasn't successful in getting in. So, but I learned, I learned even more about that. Um, I will also say when it comes to black women and, and traveling and living abroad, um, like Ivy said, when it comes to research, sometimes the most abstract places are great research. YouTube, believe it or not, there are so many YouTube channels about expats living abroad and, and what that's like. If you're interested, 100% do that. There are tons of websites about companies who specialize in having their employees live abroad. So even if you, your company doesn't, uh, put people overseas, then maybe, and that's something you want to do, then maybe you need to switch. Um, I would also say ask, um, you know, Disney, I had been asking, Disney was looking for people. Yes. But I had also been asking to go abroad and sometimes asking, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. Um, and there are a lot of other opportunities out there that people don't know about because they don't ask. That's so true. I, and it, that was the same for me, Lauren, is I asked, I, I wanted to be on that list. And I asked every, every week I would go into my leader's office and say, okay, what, you know, what's going on with, cause I saw people going over there and I'm like, what is going on with, you know, the assignment and you have to be intentional about letting them know that you're interested in something like that because Everybody isn't. And some people went over there and didn't even get close to immersing themselves in the culture. Like they ate at the same restaurants that they ate at Ugh, over in the States. At like those nasty Western anything. places. Yeah. So, you know, my point is if you're going to go over overseas, you know, part of it is you've got to immerse yourself in the culture. Like that, that was like a huge thing for me. It is no way I would have went to China and only ate at a Taco Bell or a Domino's Pizza. And people did that. You got to do it once. The beef is definitely better there. You got to do it once. But after that, <laughs> let it go. <laughs> let it go. Yeah. And I also agree with Lauren about taking an international trip by yourself. When I was in Paris, I took a trip by myself over to London, and it was probably one of the best trips that I have taken because like she said, you are, you have your own schedule. You're not having to agree with what the group would have to do. And, you know, we're a lot smarter than we give up, give ourselves credit. Like you figure stuff out, like mm -hmm. you figure out the transit system, you think you figure out how to navigate, you know, those challenges thinking like, Oh my God, I'm going to be here by myself. Who am I going to ask? You're going to ask your smartphone. That's who you're going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> your smartphone is hands is handy. And you also learn to make sure to call your, your uh, provider to make sure that you, your phone is going to work where you are. Because if not, Absolutely. then you need to do the research of how you buy an international SIM card. So 
just say, Hey, I've definitely gotten off the phone and my phone has not worked. And I had transportation set up and everything. And, and the driver's like, text me when you land. And I'm like, my phone does not work. What am I going to do? Great, great, great advice, ladies. Um, and actually, I'm glad that you shared about your solo trip to Tokyo. It's very timely um, because uh, the Olympics actually started today. Um, so uh, shout out to Tokyo and, and all that they're um, doing over there to try to, you know, have a host, a safe um, event yes. for, for everyone so, abroad. Fun mm-hmm. fact. Fun fact, where at least NBC is staying, I'm pretty sure is the hotel I stayed at, which is actually not in Tokyo. It's across the river. Um, I've been watching them like all, all morning to, to confirm, but the, the lobby and the view and the balcony definitely looked like it was my hotel. So, um, but no, to, I will say not every city is meant to travel alone, um, but Tokyo is definitely hands, I would say Tokyo, London, um, those, those bigger cities that, you know, have low crime, but go and do it because like, that was everything that was, I actually, and it was great Mm -hmm. because I went back later with my, with my partner and we were able to do some of the same things. Um, and we did new things also, but like at the same time, I knew, for example, that they close early. So finding food after nine o'clock, he's used to eating very late. And I was like, we got to eat now. And he's like, oh, we have time. And I was like, no, we don't. You got to eat now. <laughs> um, so those help just to learn when you're by yourself and you have that freedom and you, you're able to learn culturally as well. You're able to share that knowledge also with people, you know, when they're going or even just be, you know, to be aware. Um, everybody doesn't eat late like Americans do. So, you know, be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, ladies, let me let me ask you this. I have one more question, uh, or official question, I should say, and then we're going to um, have a few rapid-fire questions, a little game at the end. Um, so, so my last question uh, to you is, now that the borders are starting to open up again, where do you plan to visit first? So for I don't me, have anything. Go ahead, Warren. No, I was just going to say, so I have um, like travel goals. So for, I got this from my brother. My brother wants to visit all seven wonders of the world. He only has one left. I have two left, but I'm also a huge tennis fan. So I, um, and I grew up in Atlanta. The Olympics came to Atlanta. The one, uh, the one sport that we all played was tennis. So I'm trying to complete my own golden slam. So I've been to Wimbledon, I've been to the U.S. Open, and I've been, I wanted to go to the Australian Open for forever. So for me, Australia and New Zealand is definitely on our list. Beautiful. So for me, um, we have been having conversations around going to Qatar for the mm. World Cup. Next, next is in December of 2022. Mm. So never been to like the Middle Eastern area, but that's kind of, you know, on our, on our, on our list. Girl, I will go. My brother, like I said, is a huge soccer fan. And I know if I said that to him, he would be like, bet, let's go. Yeah, let's, let's start planning. Right. <laughs> 
Awesome. Okay, so now uh, I have a few uh, rapid fire questions for you, ladies, just based on um, the insights uh, that you shared from the places where you've lived or visited. And so I like to call uh, this section a few of my favorite things. All right. So the first one is, um, again, based on your experiences, what would you say has been your favorite city or nation thus far? Rome, Italy, where I got engaged at the Trevi Fountain. Big, look, big flex, big flex. Yes, I love it. I love it. No, that's beautiful. It, no, Rome is amazing. But yes, you better, you better tell your engagement story. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, you know, I love about Europe is you can be anywhere, like within, you know, an hour flight or less. And so at the end of my parents' assignment, we tacked on two weeks to travel through Europe. And so my boyfriend at the time, he came over to Paris. Our first stop was in Barcelona. And then from Barcelona, we went to, took a short flight over to Mallorca. And then we went over, I always wanted to see the Colosseum. And so we went over to to Rome uh, love all like the history of Rome. Went over, had intended to spend four days. Traveled leading up to Rome. We were so, so, so tired. And so I remember we get to the hotel and all I wanted to do is just sleep. And he, he said he had made dinner arrangements. And so I get up, I'm getting ready for dinner. Like, Oh my God, did not feel like going to dinner. Like I just want to sleep. He's like, well, you know, this is a nicer restaurant. You, you may want to, because, you know, I'm reaching for the tights. You know how we always go for the tights and the tennis shoes. And so he's like, um, you know, this is a little bit of a nicer restaurant. You may want to put something on. And I'm still not putting, like, two and two together. And some of my friends were like, he's going to propose. I'm like, no, I I highly doubt that he's going to propose. So I put something on uh, a little bit better than tight, like, because I didn't have a lot of clothes because, you know, you're, you're traveling lightly, you know, on assignment. And so I think I had bought like one, like outfit and I put that on. So we're walking uh, to the restaurant and getting to the restaurant, you pass by the Trevi Fountain and it is like beautiful. And so we're standing there and he says, he, he, he tells me to close my eyes and he tells me my hand, he's like, I'm going to give you like this coin and I want you to throw it into the Trevi Fountain and make a wish. So he gives me the coin, I throw it into the fountain, make a wish, and then he says, I'm going to give you another coin, but don't throw this one into the fountain. And so he puts it in my hand, and I open it, and it's green. And he proposed right there. I didn't have my nails done or anything. And, you know, it was 
you know, he, he really had thought it out and he, you know, he did good. And we ended up going to the, I said, yes, of course. And it will always be like, you know, Rome will always be, I will be endeared to Rome because, you know, I got engaged there. And the story is like, you go back there um, after you get married and it's supposed to, I can't remember exactly what the story is, but it's the story behind why he actually chose the Trevi Fountain. I love it. Oh my gosh. Beautiful engagement story. Thank you so much for sharing. And um, I know this is supposed to be a, like a rapid fire game, but I, I, I had to let you share that story. So, uh, Lauren, I apologize. What's your favorite city or nation um, that you visited thus far? <laughs> Um, yeah, I can't compare to that. Um, but, uh, I love Thailand and specifically Bangkok. I know that there are other cities, um, fantastic cities that are there. Um, but Bangkok is like, you get a little bit of everything. It is the hangover and then some, uh, and I, I can, I say that because we did the floating market. We did, um, a fantastic rooftop bar. I, I don't think I've ever been to another place where, the menus are not iPads, but they're definitely like tablets and lit up. Um, and you could see the whole city, which was gorge. I just had absolutely an amazing experience there just with different awesome people. Got a massage, ate some of the best food I've ever had. I had a, a salad that had uh, olive oil ice cream as the dressing. Yeah, super cool. <laughs> I've never, I've never had anything like it. I had pad thai at the floating market. I, but the woman cracked the egg and the, the yolk came out orange. And I was like, uh, <laughs> excuse me. And it was the best pad thai I've ever had in my life. So just, just definitely one of those. We, we went spontaneously and it was the best trip I, I think I've ever had. And one of the, just truly one of the coolest cities to go to. Awesome. I think actually I've had a couple of guests um, this season who um, who said that Thailand was their favorite as well. Uh, so moving on to our next uh, category, where do you think we can find the best food? Oh, wow. That, I would say that's a toss-up between... Shanghai had a lot of really good food. Paris had a lot of really good food. Two different types of um, two different types of food, but Shanghai seafood, dumplings. Lauren and I like we went to this dumpling making class. We found this restaurant that had like the best cauliflower. Lauren, oh, remember that restaurant? Yes. Oh. It was, it was an, um, oddly enough, it was a Muslim restaurant, uh, like a Chinese, I think the uh, Uggars is how you pronounce it. I'm probably butchering it terribly, but it was a Muslim restaurant that specialized in cumin lamb and, and skewers as a whole. So you could get everything from chicken livers and hearts or beef hearts to, um, lamb chicken. Uh, and they just had amazing vegetables that were, I mean, Part of the reason Americans are the way they are is because we just don't know how to cook vegetables. Okra. We went, I took Ivy loves okra and I took her to another dumpling restaurant and she was killing that okra. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. 
And and Lauren, what about you? Is that would you say the same? It's a close. T- uh, yeah, I, I have to say, um, I I love. I've always loved Chinese food. So for me, yes, because I also I went. I've been to Dalian. I've been to um, Beijing. I've been to oh gosh, like three other cities in the south of in the south of part of China. Um, it's close to Shanghai. And I could like, there's no way you can find bad food in China. In my opinion, it's, it's everything you want. And even somebody's going to be like, what? Even McDonald's is good just because the beef doesn't have preservatives and stuff that we're used to eating. Um, every time we go, cause I go to China about every 18 months uh, my boyfriend has to have a McDonald's hamburger. It, it, it's very American of us, I know, but like, it's just so good. He he loves eating them, uh, and Burger King too. There's no discrimination. Even KFC. KFC had a shrimp burger there. Like, what? I will say, if you're a vegetarian, though, India is amazing, and and that's the one thing I learned. I've also learned through travel. When you hear about these Netflix documentaries about how our food is killing us. Go travel and you'll see it for yourself. Okay. Mm-hmm. We don't eat, we don't eat the way we should be eating. We don't eat good. And part of it is because we don't hold people accountable for what's in our food. And we don't care to learn about how to cook our, how to cook our food better. In India, I went to a wedding and both the bride and groom were vegetarian. And so therefore the food was provided for four days straight, but it was all vegetarian food. And if there was more vegetarian food cooked like this in the United States, I would hands down be able to eliminate more meat out of my diet. Cause you didn't miss it. it I, on the fourth day, I finally ordered a lamb burger from room service. Cause I just, I was, I was like, I need something, but it was really good food and it was all vegetarian. Yeah, that's in yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say our diet is in this country is so very different than other like I mentioned earlier, in Shanghai, not a lot of sugar at all. No cheese. Not a lot of dairy. No yeah, no dairy. And no, dairy they, is very inflammatory. Yes. <clears throat> They'll eat some ice cream, but everything else, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of my guests throughout this season have talked about how, you know, when you eat abroad, how it is very much uh, fresh. Um, and um, I definitely have had a couple of um, guests as well talk about how much they love the food in India. Um, so excited I, to check it out one day. I just TMI, you are very regular when you live abroad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> It caught me off guard. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> it, it, but that's that's what I mean when I say fresh. Like, I, I'm just saying, like, it's that's what it is. I have a terrible, I have a terrible story. I'm at, we're in um, Xi'an, and my boyfriend, very American of him, even though he's from the islands, he really wanted Burger King because that was the first time he'd been there. And my sister's boyfriend had actually lived in. Uh, lived there for a month training basketball and athletes and he told him he's like man when you go he's like you gotta you gotta try burger king he's like that whopper it hits different over there he's like you gotta have it so i had been forcing him to eat local for like five days straight 
he, we get to the terracotta warriors and they have this food court. And of course there's a Burger King there. And he's like, I, he's like, I'm really hungry. I'm gonna go get a Whopper. And I was like, I don't think you should do that. And he's like, no, I want a Whopper. And I was like, okay. So he goes and he eats it. We are in the first, the terracotta warriors. Um, if you've never heard of them, look them up. They're really fabulous. And the site itself is in three buildings. We're in the first building and I kid you not, we were only in there for maybe like 30 minutes. And he was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And I was like, huh? He's like that burger. <laughs> it ran right through me. <laughs> I, like, I, told you, I told you not to eat it. <laughs> I, I visited the rest of that site by myself because he was gone gone and to note back to ivy about those those um hand the the wet ones to make matters worse because the the bathrooms don't have toilet paper i had everywhere you go you carry tissues and you carry wet ones with you and i accidentally gave him wet ones instead of tissues it was terrible he came out his eyes were watering and he was like thanks and i was like what he's like you gave me the wrong package i was like Oh, oops. You know Terrible. what? That's, that sounds like a scene from, like, you know, from a, a movie. <laughs> like, all of it. An American one BK, and then everything that transpired after that. So. That's like a Kevin Hart film for sure. I feel like that's a exactly. Kevin Hart scene for sure. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's move on to our next category. Where do you think... Uh, we can find the best outdoor activities. I can't say this personally because I'm not an outdoor girl, but I do have a friend who's been to 77 countries. Um, And homegirl, she gets around, like she just goes everywhere. And she really had a great time actually in Costa Rica. She did, it was basically like a whole eco travel trip. Um, Mm. She was out doing a ton of hiking and even her, one of her hotels, she had a private, one of those private pools and it faced the rainforest. It was gorgeous. And she was just out every day, just hiking and zip lining, doing lots of cool things, boating, lots of cool things. Beautiful. Yeah, that sounds really dope. I will also say, um, she's like, uh, my other girl, Giovanna, she does a whole bunch. She hiked her way through Brazil also. That's one of the things that she did. She, um, she was there for two weeks and she hiked through, I want to say seven different cities through Brazil. And she was just out and about everywhere she went on the, on the beach. She was up in the mountains. She was little pool, like waterfalls and little pools and stuff like that. She was doing all of that. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. All right, Ivy, where do you think we can find the best outdoor activities? Oh, gosh. Hmm. Uh, I guess it depends on, like, what, you know, your interests are. For, like, one of one of the things that um, outdoor act, I love to go and see, like, different monuments or, you know, that makes countries famous. So, like, Siem Reap was one in Cambodia that I went to to see, like, all of the architecture over in Anger Wat. And just going through that area, that's where 
Tomb Raider was formed. So if you ever get an opportunity to check that out, it's like one of the second largest cities in Cambodia. But people go there to see like these statues that have been built like from a long, long, long time ago. And also we did a tour of a water city while we were there. So I guess it kind of depends on if you're looking for, you know, more active like hiking, stuff like that. For me, I'm all about seeing like the monuments and taking those type of tours. Awesome. Okay, next category. Where do you think that we can find the best beach abroad? Turks and Caicos probably has like one of the, the like clearest, most beautiful, calm beach that that I have probably ever seen. Um, so if I don't say Antigua, I think I'll have somebody yelling at me. <laughs> my, speak, my, your, speak your truth, sis. Speak your truth. My, my man's family's from Antigua, um, which really does have some of the most gorgeous beaches ever. Um, but I would also say that I think Jamaica truly does have some beautiful beaches, too. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Perfect. Okay, so have three more. All right, so where do you think we can find some of the best accommodations? It depends on what you're looking for. I, I have a friend who um, went to Uzbekistan and had a, an amazing time going through different hostels, and she's happy as a pig in slop. I don't like traveling in hostels. I need at least a three-star hotel that has running water <laughs> and running water um, where I can lock up my valuables and, and I, that I come back to when it's mine and check for bed bugs. So <laughs> that's me. It just, it depends on what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with, I would agree with Lauren on that one. Over in China, you were able to stay in really nice hotels for, you know, they were very inexpensive. So depending on, you know, how how much you want to spend is going to make a difference on what your accommodations are going to look like. But but please know that, like, sometimes you can splurge and get really wonderful accommodations. So we stayed at the JW in New Delhi. And when we checked in, they asked, you know, for $50 more, would you like access to the club concierge? And before I could even open my mouth, my brother said, yes, please. And we had an amazing time. Anything you wanted, they delivered. It was breakfast, happy hour, and like appetizers. And we had an amazing time. And I want to say that hotel was $2.60 a night for the JW. I've stayed at the Ritz-Carlton in Beijing and I thought it was a terrible hotel. It was stuffy and it was awful. And I honestly will probably never stay at a Ritz-Carlton again. Um, I've also stayed at, you know, tiny Hilton's that, uh, you know, did what they needed to do. <laughs> yeah, I stayed at a hotel in um, 
in Thailand, and it was like $50 a night, and it was an amazing hotel, like with pool, and it came with, you know, free breakfast, really good breakfast. So, yeah, it just depends. I will say do your research because, Ivy, you just reminded me, the hotel I stayed at in Thailand was next door to Banyan Tree, which is where they have the moon bar and everything. And that, that hotel itself was like $400 a night. And the hotel we stayed at was like $80 a night. And it was right next door to the best bar in the city. So like mm. we, you know, we were right there, and, but didn't pay the expensive prices. So definitely do your research. You can, and you can find really good deals. And nowadays everybody's teaching you how to travel hack. So do yeah. you. Yeah, my my guest um, from the episode in May, she actually primarily does couch surfing. Um, and so she shared like a resource for how to do that safely. It was very insightful because um, it's definitely not a way <laughs> that I would normally think uh, to uh, utilize accommodations. But yeah, I think I agree with you, ladies. It just depends. All right. So uh, coming up on our last couple of categories here. Up next, where do you think we can find the best cityscape? Well, one of them, Hong Kong, I think definitely has, like, one of the best cityscapes. You have beach, mountains, and city. Like, it is New York-style city. Yes, it is definitely probably one of the most amazing looking skylines. That's a hard one to beat, Ivy. Um, I would say that I will always love the Shanghai skyline. I'm a little biased, of course, but that that never gets old to me. Yeah, yeah. Shanghai is yeah. You're right. Shanghai is with with the the bond. Yeah, it definitely it's up there. In terms of Scott, definitely top three. Awesome. Yeah, I think my I think my guest on the June episode also said Hong Kong. So pretty consistent you, there. Even when you get off the plane there and all you see is like mountains and the top of size skyscrapers, you're like, wow. And blue sky. Gorge. Love it. Um, all right, ladies. So now we've come to the last category. Where do you think we can find the most beautiful landscape? I haven't been there, but I've seen pictures. If you go like anywhere in the Netherlands, I think uh, some of the photos that my friends have taken there, like I just, you can't beat it. The fields and the, the, like the windmill mills and all that stuff. It's gorge. I, I would say on my list would be Iceland. Another place, it's it's a place like a like a cold vacation. Like you have mountains, you have hot springs, it's waterfalls, like all of those nature things that looks like it's on a postcard. That's Iceland. Love it. Well, ladies, um, I 
really appreciate you all taking some time to share your perspectives and insights on your experiences in Shanghai, as well as just beyond um, being the brown girls abroad that you are. So I've had a blast, and I think that this was the perfect way to wrap up our season, our third season of Brown Girl Radiance podcast. So thank you, ladies, so much. Yeah, thank you for having us on here. This has been great to kind of reminisce on, you know, it's been five years since we, since the park opened in, in Shanghai. So it's been nice to kind of reminisce on some of our experiences and other places that we've been. For sure. For sure. Thank you. It's been great definitely to talk about it for sure. And definitely with Ivy. Uh, to remember those awesome experiences that we had. You're my brown girls abroad dream team. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you ladies again. Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Brown Girl Radiance podcast, please share it with a friend so that we can continue to celebrate and shine together. Brown Girl Radiance podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Pandora. If you want to stay connected to Brown Girl Radiance podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Brown Girl Radiance podcast. You can feel free to email me at Brown Girl Radiance podcast at gmail.com.